Welcome to Habits for Happiness with Lady Fuller. The path to happiness is paved with healthy habits. We spend much of our lives searching for happiness when the key we're looking for is right there inside of us. We can discover that key through habit change, which you're about to learn about. Now, here is your host, Lady Fuller. Hi, everyone. I'm Lady Fuller, and this is Habits for Happiness, the show where we discuss habits that can make you happier. Here on the show today, we have Dorman, Dr. Norman Rosenthal, who's a world-renowned researcher, researcher and psychiatrist. He led the team, which is so exciting to me, that first described seasonal effectiveness disorder. And you may have heard this of this as SAD disorder, which pioneered light therapy to treat it. He's a best-selling author of 10 books, and he's an executive coach and a popular public speaker. And at the end of the show, stay tuned because we'll we'll hear about how you can find more of him and his book that's about to come out. So welcome, Dr. Rosenthal. Thank you so much for being here. It's an honor. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes. So this is a this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. I live in snowy Colorado in the mountains, and it can get quite dark. And I definitely am affected by sad disorder at times throughout the year and have always had sort of homegrown ways to combat it, but have never heard from an expert on ways to combat it. So tell us about the habit that is associated with this work you're doing, and and I'll let you take it from here. Well, I'm a huge fan of habits because habits just make things easier and good ones, maybe some might say a couple of bad ones, but we'll talk about the good ones. And light is one of the habits. Light in the morning gets my day going and it gets everybody's day going. It feeds right into your circadian rhythms, your biological clock, and it gets you moving. So I recommend light first thing in the morning, and that can be natural light, or it can be artificial light. So let's think about each of them. I've just gone walking with my dog, getting my morning fix, and he's getting his morning fix of his own kind. And we both got a a share of the morning light. Look up at the sky, not at the sun, but if there's a cloudy sky, you can get quite a lot of light off a cloudy sky, and it can get you going. But of course, sometimes the light really isn't there in any way. So it is nice that we have researched artificial light. And there are special light therapy boxes. They are available on the online resources. And it is important to get a light that is a good light. And in the book, Defeating Sad, I describe the various elements of a good light, which is that they shouldn't be teeny weeny. I know those are the cheap ones, but they don't work as well. Mm -hmm. It should be about one foot square and it should come from a reputable company that stands by its product so that keep the packaging. If you don't like it, back it goes. And so these lights are now quite widely available and um, that is something that you can use every morning, regardless of the weather. Yeah. So Dr. Rosenthal, tell us for, for listeners who may not be aware of SAD disorder, what it is, and on the tail end of that, what led you to even research it? 
Well, I came here from South Africa, as you can tell by my accent. It's not an American accent, you although it's quite that way. Beg your pardon? You have a beautiful accent. Well, thank you. But when I am amongst my South African friends, they say I sound just like an American. <laughs> of course they do. <laughs> so anyway, um, when I came here from sunny South Africa, I came to New York City. And I was flying high in the long days of summer because, of course, they're longer than they were back in Johannesburg because we were further from the equator. But then daylight savings time came. And with daylight savings time, you lose a lot of afternoon light. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what hit me. I was suddenly having a hard time waking up in the morning. I wasn't feeling so great. Uh, I thought, how could I have taken on all these tasks in the summer? I was going like a crazy man, and now i am it's hard to even get moving in the morning. And so this happened for three years in a row, and it had never happened in South Africa. So I figured, look, something different is going on here. And in fact, that's when I came to the National Institute of Mental Health, and there with a team of very um, talented, gifted colleagues, we put together the story of seasonal affective disorder, which I coined the acronym SAD because people do feel sad. And it turned out that if you give people more light in the morning, especially, you will help them come out of the state of SAD. Now, I should tell you what that state really is like. Yes slowing down, everything feels slow, you feel like you're going through molasses, difficulty concentrating, difficulty doing your work, you're just not as engaging, you're not as outgoing. So people think, you know, maybe there's something about them that you don't like, or that you're not so happy with them anymore, and relationships suffer, people mm -hmm. withdraw from friends, from family, and of course, you can imagine if you're not thinking as well, you're not concentrating as well, you're withdrawing. These cause troubles in your life. Your work isn't as good. Your social relationships aren't as good. And you can get really quite depressed in its right. extreme form. So it's not just a trivial thing. For some people, it's an inconvenience. For some people, it's just an unhappiness. But for some people, it's really disabling. That's what sad is. Right. So tell us, first of all, thank you for doing research on this topic. Because again, as I said at the top of the show, I know I've suffered from it. And there isn't a tremendous amount of research on the topic because I have Googled it before. And I was aware of the light therapy. But this idea of just going outside in the morning is something I've heard from Dr. Andrew Huberman, who talks about this light therapy in the morning, as you have. And tell us why it's important to go out in the morning specifically. Well, it seems as though your circadian system, this set of cells in the brain that is like your biological clock. It's geared towards orchestrating all your rhythms, that it's most sensitive first thing in the morning. We're a daytime species. We're geared towards the day. Mm. That's when we're out hunting and gathering. Mm -hmm. um, and nowadays, of course, you could be hunting for information or you could be mm. gathering the clues to your next big 
hit. So um, we hunt and gather in different ways. But in any event, the body clock, the circadian rhythms uh, are most sensitive at that time of the day. And that's when the light is going to do you the most good in, in most people. And so that's why the morning. Mm-hmm. And then there's often a feeling that the sky, if it's a sort of leaden gray, isn't going to give you a lot of light, but that's wrong. So, you know, there's a tendency to have your hat on and your coat and your muffler and look down. And that's not a good habit because you're not getting a lot of the benefits of that morning walk. Yes. So even if it's cloudy, that was my next question. We should go outside for that 10 minutes in the morning. Beautiful. Yeah. And so when we go outside in the morning, is this pre, as soon as we wake up, is there a, you know, what is the timing like? Well, you know, I don't want to imply that timing is so critical. I mean, do your morning habits, which Mm -hmm. everybody has, they're brushing their teeth, or if there's medicines you have to take or whatever it is you have to do. But um, you know, don't dawdle for two hours because you're not going to get that potent morning hit that all yes. of us can benefit from. So thank you so much. This is beautiful. And obviously sunlight, vitamin S, as I call it, is free. We can go outside and not have to subscribe to something or take take ingest something orally or otherwise. So tell us, when you're doing this research on sad disorder, which again, I find so unbelievably interesting, what was the most surprising thing you found in your work? Well, just the magnitude of the effect. Because when we first did the study, it was it was a sort of crossover and it was blind. You didn't know what Mrs. X was getting. Was she getting the real light or was she getting some kind of control that mm-hmm. we were using? And I remember coming into the ward on one occasion. We had a ward on the National Institute of Mental Health here. And this person who had been so glum, but suddenly it was like a flower had opened up. You know, it's like we had predicted that this could happen, but it's like you're waiting for the sun to rise. And you're looking at the horizon and then it actually does rise. So we were hoping that, our, our clients, our patients would experience the benefits of the light, but I just didn't expect that they would be blooming like a, a plant in wow. the wake of starting their light therapy. So when you talk about light therapy, is that at a different time of day or is that as a substitute for the, the walking in the sun? Well, I think in practice, it's a supplement. Mm-hmm. because the practicalities of our lives probably don't allow us to get enough light, mm. just natural causes. So it's lovely to have this option of indoor light plus the option to go out walking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I would say I don't think either or, I think both. So could we deduce or could one deduce that artificial light has us very skewed from our circadian rhythms, that the light we imbue from computers and TV and everything else has us off track? Uh, By us off track, what do you mean? Has us off track. So has us off track. If we we primarily are set to be operating Mm -hmm. by 
sun and the moon. And here we are generating all of these artificial means of light, not the light therapy, just the light we get from overhead light and whatnot. Are we off track that way? Yes, we are off track. And if you think of an extreme situation, you've got somebody who's living in a basement apartment Mm. uh, with few or no windows. There's a building right up against them so that they, whatever light is coming in, they're not getting it. And so this is the worst of that situation. Excuse me a sec. I've got to let my dog out. Oh, that's okay. Don't worry. He's heard my son come into the house and he won't be held back. So that's okay. Um, that's another habit. My son and I go walking once a week. You do? I love that. Long, long walk. And he's also a psychiatrist, just like me. So we catch up on all the latest stuff and um, we take the dog along. And so that's part of our Friday morning ritual. I love that. I had Libby Delena on the show who walks about every morning for the past 10 years and talks about walking is such a wonderful habit you can do at any age, wonderful habit for meetings. And the wonderful thing about walking is it does bring you outside for the most part into the light. It brings you in contact with nature. It brings you in contact with your neighbors. And the other thing is if you can choose some hills, it gives you that intermittent increase in stress that is now so much talked about as valuable. Yes, I love this. So we were talking about how the light that we have from artificial light or lack of sunlight in general has has thrown us off our circadian rhythms. And if someone wanted to get back to their circadian rhythms, what would they do? Would they go to sleep when it got dark and wake up when it was light? What what would be the appropriate way to get back on track, so to speak? I think regularity is the key. You know, somebody who's staying up till two o'clock on one night because they've got a show that they want to watch and then they can't get up the next morning and then the following night they've got some kind of plans to go Mm. hit the town and so on and so forth. It is better for your circadian rhythms if you're regular. So that is definitely a, a very good thing. And the light and dark. Which, which until maybe the 1980s, nobody realized how potent that was in terms of coordinating and training your circadian rhythms. It became clear that it was much more important than was thought of previously. And the reason people hadn't realized it is that the bright light, somehow humans are geared towards responding to bright light as opposed to just ordinary 300 lux room light. Mm, we're like moss to the flame. <laughs> yes, indeed. That's right. So I would also assume historically this wouldn't have, this issue that we we're having now wouldn't have been, people wouldn't have had that prior to electricity. Is that true? Well, that's very good question because before electricity, when they used candlelight, People even slept in different ways. Instead of sleeping in one block like we do, their sleep broke up into two blocks. And uh, my colleague, Dr. Tom Ware, was able to replicate that in the laboratory. And then afterwards, a historian went back to records, diary records of the Civil War, 
when people said, you know, after my first sleep, I was lying there in bed, and then the second sleep came, and that period between the two sleeps was called the watch. And people laid down, they felt like they were in a state of crystal clear consciousness, and maybe they made love, or maybe they got up and did some chores, but sleep broke up into two components. But when artificial light came along, electrical light, it squashed those two components into one block of sleep. And that's how it is nowadays. That is incredible. Really incredible. And so could we say that people didn't didn't suffer from sad disorder then? Or I guess we have no way of knowing. Oh, I don't think we could say that. There are actually a few documented cases going way back into the um, 19th century, early 1800s. There was a man who was in in, um, France who came to a very famous psychiatrist and told him about his terrible SAD. He He was a businessman and he felt grim and he felt despondent and suicidal and so on and so forth every winter. And he said, should I go to an asylum? And the doctor said, no, that would be the worst thing. You go to the south of Italy through the winter months Mm. and come back in the spring. And he did that. And he was cured of his SAD. Interesting. Are, Are there certain people that are more susceptible to sad disorder than others? It seems to be genetically loaded. There is a genetic contribution, but also women get it more than men. Mm-hmm. And family members, if you've got family members who have it, that seems to be predisposed. And in women, in girls, after puberty is when it seems to kick in. So mm-hmm. it seems to be tied into the reproductive cycle, especially in women. But men do get it. One in three or one in four people with SAD is actually male. So it's not only women. Wow. And what percentage of the population suffers from SAD disorder? We estimate about 5%. So that's tens of millions of people. And then, of course, there are another 15% that don't have it so badly as what I've just described. But they're not themselves. They're not as creative. They're not as sparkling. They're not as happy. And those people, we say, have the winter blues. Wow. So besides going outside or artificial light, what are some other habits that combat sad disorder? Well, exercise is very good. Um, Cognitive behavioral interventions. And in my book, I do give a whole chapter on cognitive behavior therapy you know, people whose thoughts are off track. In Mm. other words, um, you know, people who think, well, nobody wants to visit with me. Nobody wants to socialize with me. Nobody wants to go out with me. And then uh, you ask yourself, well, what's the evidence for that? Well, I called so-and-so and she didn't want to come out with me. So nobody will want to come out with me. Well, that's not really logical, is it? Just because one person says they don't want to go out with you, why not try a few more and see? And so on and so forth. And uh, so you're encouraged to challenge what's called distorted thinking, which is all or none. You know, either I'm the best or I'm the worst. Well, most people are somewhere in between. Of course. 
You know what I'm saying? So there's a lot of ways in which we can trap ourselves by our thinking. Mm. This is very amenable to being uh, examined and changed. And this is one of the great um, discoveries in modern psychotherapy is challenging people's thinking and helping them in that way. Right. So what I would call a reframe. So really. Exactly. Exactly. No, exam- so that's another thing you can do. So okay. we've got exercise, we've got cognitive therapy, socializing. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, the, it's very important, like, don't wake up one day and say, who can I go to lunch with? You know, make a plan several mm-hmm. days in advance. You know, most people keep a schedule or a calendar right. in the working world. So make a plan and that kind of locks you in. And then oftentimes when you go out and you're in a nice restaurant or a nice place, you're having uh, lunch together, you're catching up on each other's news, then before you know it, you're feeling more human again. So, you know, there are behavioral things. That's what's called cognitive behavioral. So we're already clicking off a number of things. Meditation. I love meditation. It's a it's a foundational habit of mine. I do it every day. Tell us about your meditation habit. I, my, everybody's got their own brand and I'm not saying one brand is better than the other. And and in the book, I talk about different brands. I talk about mindfulness. I talk about transcendental meditation, um, even walking meditation. But for me, the, uh, the practice is transcendental meditation. You learn to use a mantra and you learn how to let that mantra come to you and how to move into a state of mind that's very peaceful, very blissful, settled, called transcendence. And then once you do it regularly, you find that that state of mind is often your companion, that you often sort of as a default fall into it and um, it helps you, helps me. Definitely. How long do you do it for? I do it, well, ideally it's 20 minutes twice a day, but if I can get in one 20-minute session, uh, that's a good day. And if twice, that's a really good day. Yes, and even bonus points for meditating in the sunlight. Well, you do have your eyes shut, so you lose out on some of that. But <laughs> whatever whatever works is my, you know, wherever Wherever you're going to do it, find a chair that you really like, find a place that feels really comfy. Uh, You know, I think habits thrive when you construct an environment that supports those habits. So that's what I do in my own life. I love that. And what would you want people to know most who may be suffering from sad disorder? What would you want the listeners to know if they identify with this? Firstly, that it is a disorder. That if you have trouble in the winter, if you can't get up in the morning, if you can't be as functional or as happy or as sociable as you would like to be and mostly others would like you to be, um, historically, people have felt like this is somehow a failure and it's somehow a shame. And it's not. It's just a condition. It's biological and it's fixable. That's what I'd like people to take away from today's conversation. I love that. So tell us, when does your book release? Um, It releases in two weeks' time. Yay! August now, and on the 15th of August, the book releases, and uh, I have an Audible as well. 
Uh, I recorded it myself so that people could get the feeling of just hearing it straight from the horse's mouth. Yes, and your beautiful accent. So where can people buy your book? Everywhere, online, in a lot of the better bookstores. Um, It's available widely. It's available through Amazon, through Barnes & Noble. Uh, I'm giving a book reading here in Washington on the 29th of August at Politics and Prose, which is one of our big bookstores here. And I will be, follow me on my website. You'll see exactly where I I go. It's it's normanrosenthal.com. Okay. So normanrosenthal.com. So that's where someone would go if they're listening and they want to have you for a book signing or have a public speaking or ask you more questions, they would contact you there. Definitely. And um, social media I've, are all listed uh, on my website. And in fact, um, I've just started doing some TikTok videos. I'm TikTok, trying to... I love this. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm asking. I'm giving people some brain teasers to to um, uh, see if they can solve, and I'm having fun with that. So, um, I, and I think that's a big thing. You should have fun. Life shouldn't just be a drag. It sh- shouldn't just be work. I've I've been a hardworking person, as you can imagine, but. I really think fun is an important habit, things that make you enjoy, you know? Yes, yes. And even walking in the sunlight, these basic things with our dogs or by ourselves or with our friends, these are things that do bring us joy. I think it's really important. It's about bringing it back to the smallest elements and savoring them for sure. Exactly. Dr. Rosenthal, thank you so much for being here and helping so many people with all of your work on SAD disorder and beyond. And if people want to find more of you, please remember, go to normanrosenthal.com, one word, no dashes or or periods. And please tune in, you guys, next week for another habit that could change your life. And Dr. Rosenthal, thank you so much for being here. It was just such a pleasure. Well, thank you. The pleasure was mine as well. So have a wonderful day full of good habits. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Habits for Happiness. Please join Lady Fuller for another edition of the program next time on the Voice America Variety Channel and discover how to find your new happy place. Happy place.